0: as we go ahead and kick off a new series here this morning at Walk Church that we're titling Victory. Amen. Victory, uh, because we believe that the Easter theme is the truth. It's the reality. It's the gospel. It's the message that we're not fighting today for the victory. The victory has been won in Jesus Christ through his perfect sinless life, through his sacrificial death, through his triumphal resurrection. Amen. And we want to just lean into that in the month of April. And so we're taking a quick pause in our series through Galatians. Uh, We just are making our way into chapter two. We're going to just put a little bookmark there and jump into uh, this series victory here today. If you're not aware, uh, today is something that's called Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. And the reason why it's Palm Sunday is because there's a moment 2000 plus years ago where Jesus enters in to Jerusalem for the final time before he would go to the cross. And as he enters in, people pull out palm branches and begin to worship him. And and they begin to declare, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means and and why they would do that. And and they, they came to worship King Jesus and declare his praise. That's what we're looking at here today on this first Palm Sunday Um, here at Walk Church, where we can go back and we can allow our imaginations to take us back to that first ever Palm Sunday. That's what I want us to do today. Uh, Are you down to to journey back with me to the first ever Palm Sunday? Okay, I see I hear some energy over here. I'm leaning over here. Y'all got y'all with me? Okay, I hear some yes. I hear some drop some amens on the chat. I think that sometimes uh, when you're looking at the Bible, it's not just taught, it's also caught. It's, it's sometimes observing and just watching and trying to notice, noticing what is happening in the story, noticing what's happening in the Palm Sunday account. In fact, there's four different Palm Sunday accounts in the New Testament that we see in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke. In John, and Matthew chapter 21, you'll find the triumphal entry in Matthew records some specific details. In Mark chapter 11, you'll see Mark give his take on the first ever Palm Sunday. And toward the later part of Luke, in Luke 21 and Luke 22, you'll see this triumphal entry happen. And then in John chapter 12, you'll also see, and what's so neat about the Palm Sunday moment is it, it starts what's called Holy Week. And Holy Week is the week that leads up to the cross of Jesus Christ that leads up to the resurrection that happens on Sunday. And so this is the Sunday before the Sunday, all right? Are you guys there? Do you get the setting? And Jesus had just risen somebody from the dead. His name was Lazarus. Jesus showed up in John 11 and literally called Lazarus from the grave. Now, Lazarus wasn't chilling, he wasn't sleeping he was dead. In fact, he had been dead for four days. He was wrapped up in a burial and he was not smelling good. It's what the Bible teaches us. And Jesus went to the tomb and said, come out. And he got up. The thing that's amazing about that is if that happened in your neighborhood, you'd probably be excited too. And you'd be like, hold up. We just celebrated uh, Lazarus's funeral. And now he's back with us at Chili's. Something's off. All right. Or something's on. I don't know. Where's Jesus? <laughs> right? Where is this king who has the power and the authority even over the grave? And so why do I share that? That's the setting. The city stirred up about Jesus. The city and the people are trying to find him to make him king. They're, they're looking for him. Where is Jesus, the paparazzi, is all over the place trying to find this guy who can raise the dead. He's healed blind people, but when the dead come back to life, it changes things. So everybody comes and flocks to Jerusalem for the Passover feast in hopes, I wonder if Jesus will show up, and I wonder if he'll continue to do things that blows our mind. I want to preach a message to you today from a title that I um, I heard. I'm a basketball fan. Y'all know that. Some of you guys know. That I I love the sport of basketball. I love I love watching. I love playing. I wish I played more. Um, and and one of my favorite sports analysts is a guy by the name of Mark Jackson. He's a former point guard in the NBA, and now he does a lot of uh, sports analysts. He'll he'll call the games. And one thing that Mark Jackson is known for is before they send it into the timeout, he'll just go ahead and call a play again, and he'll have some type of kind of catchy, witty statement that sends you into the timeout that is usually quite entertaining. One of my favorites that he says often is the title of my sermon today. The title is simply, Mama, there goes that man. Mama, there goes that man. Come on, you can go ahead and say it with me. Say, Mama, there goes that man. You know, you'll see uh, it be coming up on halftime and LeBron will hit some type of step back three in the corner. Or maybe it's I'm more of a Steph Curry guy, if I'm honest, but he'll, he'll hit a shot and then he'll say, Mama, there goes that man. I think if Mark Jackson was calling the play on Palm Sunday and he was sitting there with another analyst and Jesus begins to ride in on the donkey. I think Mark would say, hold on, Mama, there goes that man that guy's different. In other words, Jesus, he's doing something that is more than we can see. It's larger, it's bigger, it's broader, it's wider, it's prophetic, it's intentional on that first ever Palm Sunday. When Jesus steps on the scene here, as we're about to read it, uh, things are shifting and changing, and I think it's beneficial for us to Look at it here together. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 12, and we'll look at John's account of Palm Sunday, and we'll visit some others as well. Uh, John chapter 12, if you need a Bible, put your hand in the air. We'd love to walk you one down. Bless you with a Bible today for free. Um, If not, go ahead and scroll with me. Look on the screen with me. We're in John chapter 12. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Let's eat. Lord, as we eat from your word now, uh, Hosanna in the highest. Holy Spirit, speak to each person online, each person in the room. And I just want to ask you to pray with me. Just say, Lord, speak to me. me. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Lord, speak to us today. The scripture says the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, the feast is known as the Passover. Some historians would say arguably up to a million plus people would make their way into the city to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. As they the large crowd had came to the feast, heard Jesus was coming. I don't know how they heard it, but the, the word got out. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now that right there, if we could just clip that out, that's a direct quotation Hundreds of years before from a prophet named Zechariah. You can find the book in your Bible. Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine is who they quote here. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him, and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So this, this crowd is continuing to, to declare who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So why is the crowd so big and robust right now? Well, one, because they're there for the Passover feast. they They're in it. And at the same time, they want to see the guy who can raise the dead. Verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him and are pursuing Jesus. Mama, there goes that man. There's a lot that's happening in this text. I think there could be a thousand things that could be pointed out. In the remainder of our time, I just want to give you three observations, three things that I'm learning about Jesus through the first ever Palm Sunday. And I think that we should always be on a journey of studying him. Amen. And it's not just to know about Jesus, but to know Jesus. The thing that's different from Christianity and all the other religions, majority of world religions, you you want to know about God. The, The book that we're reading teaches us to actually know God. It's not just information, it's transformation. It's not just, uh, let me get more wisdom. It's actually, let me know the person of Jesus who's here right now, who's alive and in full effect wants to know you, loves you, died for you, rose for you. Get to know him. So I want to give you three things on how you can get, get to know more about him here today. We'll put the first point up on the screen. Number one, he's on time. He's on time want you to to trust his timing. The thing that I love about Jesus and Palm Sunday, I was rereading this scripture just because I wanted to get familiar with it. I wanted to catch it. What is it about Palm Sunday that makes this such a special time? The thing that I realized is, man, Jesus is really calculated. He's very much on time. This moment, brothers and sisters, is not an accident. This moment is not a, ah, you know what? Let me get this donkey oh, yeah, let me just, oh, you guys are kind, the, the palm branches, all that. No, in fact, Jesus is very detailed and intentional with his timing. Amen? Can I just encourage you with that? Can I just tell you that that's true for your life today? If Jesus wasn't on time 2,000 years ago, he's on time today. And all of us, I think, are, are waiting for something thinking about something, needs something to happen in our lives. And I just am here to tell you, good news, brothers and sisters, he's on time. We find here in Palm Sunday that Jesus has been working up to this moment. In fact, Jesus steps on the scene and he's declaring something with the donkey. He's he's announcing something with his entry. He's making himself known. Now, why is that important? Well, here's why it's important, because throughout the, the times of Jesus in the gospel up to this point, for example, in John chapter 2, if you scroll back 10 chapters in John, you'll wind up in John 2, where you'll find Jesus at the wedding feast. He's there at the banquet. His family's there. Somebody's getting married, and they have this big old feast, and everybody's drinking wine. Don't amen that. I'm just playing. Um, somebody's like, yeah, right? Um, and, and, and what happens is the wine runs out. Wine runs out, and Jesus' mom pulls up on Jesus and says, hey, fix this. Make something happen. Do a miracle. And Jesus' response in John chapter 2 is, is really interesting. What does he say? He says, he says, well, first off, he says, woman, which is not good advice for, I'm not encouraging anybody to do that, but Jesus said to her, only, this is Jesus saying, woman, now, many scholars believe Jesus was being sarcastic and playful with his mom because his mom response is also kind of humorous. Uh, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus still does it, right? Um, but the point that I want to make in this text is Jesus is aware of the time. What does he say? He says, wait, you, you, you don't understand. My hour has not yet come. This is not from this, Jesus is saying, "Hey, M- Mother Mary, it's not time for me to get on the donkey." Cuz when that comes, the cross is around the corner. Jesus is aware of the setting. He's aware of the people. He's aware of the time. He's aware of the thoughts. He's aware of the atmosphere. He's aware of your life. And I want to encourage you today, you can trust his timing. If you if you jump a little bit forward into John chapter 7, You'll find a similar moment where Jesus does a miracle and it says that Jesus separates himself from the people knowing it was not his hour. In John chapter six, it's very interesting. Jesus, right? He feeds the 5,000 plus people. He takes a little kid's happy meal, two fish and some bread and he feeds 5,000 plus. Only Jesus can do that. Come on. Amen. And he allows the disciples to do that. In other words, bring a, bring the little you have and watch Jesus make much out of it. He can do that. Amen. Amen. But then what happens? In John chapter 6, it's very interesting. They pressed in on Jesus and crowded Jesus to try to make him king. But Jesus knew what was in man's heart. And Jesus distances himself from the people because he knew it's not my time to be propped up and to be announced as king. Jesus is saying, I'm not interested in that yet. Why am I sharing all that? Jesus is on time. He's rarely on schedule. He's always on time. I love how Dr. Tony Evans says it. He says, trust God's delays. I think it's important for us to just be aware that God is operating on his timing, not yours. And today, if you're trying to control the time too much, stop playing God and trust his timing. Don't try to get Jesus on the donkey before he's ready. He'll go when he's ready. He'll make his way up to Jerusalem when he's ready. What's so cool about Palm Sunday is he's ready. Why is this such a triumphal entry? Because all of this time, Jesus has been telling people, hey, look, look, you don't got to tell a lot of people. Isn't it wild in Mark chapter two, Jesus heals a blind person? He's been blind from birth. Jesus heals him. Jesus heals a paralytic. And what does he say? Don't tell nobody. How does that work? Make sense. You, you were blind, now you can see, and you're not supposed to tell anybody? I'm not even mad that he wasn't obedient to Jesus, right? He goes and tells everybody. Look, here's the point. Because he went and told everybody, Jesus could no longer enter the city. It was too crowded. Trust his timing. What we see here is that Jesus is intentional with that. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's a verse for everybody in the room. Check out this scripture. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. Come on, read it with me. Ready? Go. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Love that verse. Jesus doesn't just move off of minutes and seconds. He moves in seasons. You got to know your season. You got to know what season you're in. You could be a, a on season, an off season, a season to work, a season to dance, a season to cry. Ecclesiastes talks about all the seasons. For everything in the season, there's a time for every matter under heaven. I just want you to know God's on time. Amen. Here's why it's important, because right now it might not hit you, but this week when you're waiting and you're frustrated and you're, why is this happening? You're going to remember, he's on time. May not be my schedule, but you can trust his. Amen. I'm going to I'll, I'll clap with you, Will. I believe that to be true, and I need that to be true, because I can, I can sometimes be hurried and try to make things happen in my own time, it never works. But I, I've found that you can trust his timing. One of the things I've been uh, blessed to do over the past few months is serve as a chaplain alongside my brother George for the uh, G League Ignite. And so we've been walking with a lot of the basketball players for the, the G League team here in our city. And uh, we had a chapel message just a uh, Um, last month in March, where it was the 16th of March, so we opened up Proverbs 16, and we just read through it as a group and pulled out some principles. One of the verses that just hit our group, that just hit different, was Proverbs 16, verse 9. We spent some time really talking through it. I'll put it up here on the screen. The text says, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. In other words, from the moment you wake up, your heart starts planning, doesn't it? Your heart starts dreaming. Your heart starts says, and some of y'all are like super duper planners. Your calendar is full and you know where you're going to be in 2028. And you're like, I'm so spontaneous. I'm just trying to get through this service, right? And, and you're, you're super planned up. Can I just say, hold those plans loosely. Hold those plans loosely. Why? Because you, your heart can plan all day, but the Lord determines your steps. You're, you're, the, the Lord actually determines where you'll end up and who you'll, you could meet somebody today that'll change the rest of your life. Hold it loosely, trust his timing, amen? I just wanna encourage you with it. We, we were there in the, in the chapel and we're talking about this verse and I felt like God gave me a word that became a word for my year. I wanna share it with you here. I'll put it up on the screen, it's a reality statement. Don't just trust the plan, trust the planner. Don't just trust the plan. In other words, your heart plans its course. And you might say, Oh, I'm just trusting the plan. Here's what I'm going to do today. But always give God the freedom to override your plan. Always give God the freedom to say, God, your plan just happens to be better than mine. So, Lord, here's my plans. Maybe you've heard this quote before. I'm not sure who said it, but if you ever want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) Tell him your plans. God, here's all the things I'm going to do this year. God's going to chuckle at that. And I just want you to know that God's plan has always been better than your plan. God is for you. He's not against you. But he loves you enough to discipline you. He loves you enough to say no or not yet in times where you would have said yes and didn't know what was around the corner. I don't know if you've seen that meme that's kind of been floating around social media, but it's this little girl and she's crying uh, because she can't have the teddy bear. But behind the back is the bigger teddy bear. God is saying, hey, if you just trust my timing, if you just wait, I'm going to work it out. Let me give you this reality statement. If you're taking notes here today, just in the context of timing, I want to give you uh, this word. Because Jesus is on time, we can relax. Oh, I thought I was going to hear a better amen. Okay. Because... Come on, are, are, do you, anybody else just feel tired and overwhelmed and you've got a lot of stuff going on and you're trying to keep up or you feel down or you feel like you wish you would have been somewhere else or you feel like, okay. Because Jesus is on time, friend, you can relax. Because Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and he's going to get on the donkey and he's going to save the day. Brother, sister, you don't have to be God. You can just follow his timing. You can relax knowing that he will come through. The disciples... Over and over again said, Jesus, when you gonna do it? (laughs) When you gonna call the fire down from heaven? Jesus, when you gonna show, show him, Jesus. Flex on him. (laughs) Jesus, show him. You're the The disciples knew, that's why they followed him. Not everybody knew. And Jesus would always say, It's not my time yet. What's crazy about Palm Sunday is Jesus is saying, Watch me work. Now it's my time. Jesus knew time, place, schedule, what he was doing. Let me give you point number two. Point number two is this. He is in control. The thing that I was observing about Palm Sunday is not only is Jesus on time, but he's radically in control. I think maybe we can approach the, the message a little too flippant and lose sight that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. It's one thing for him to show up on time and to be right there, it's a whole other thing for him to know exactly what he's doing. He's, he's in complete control. We see this here in the, the text. I want to look over at Matthew 21. Let's go ahead and pull on Matthew's account just for a moment. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. We don't know exactly who they were, but two of his disciples had the assignment Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied in a colt with her. I love Jesus's precision. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So I was reading that passage. I was amazed by how Jesus refers to himself in the text. What does he say? Who needs them? He doesn't say, if anybody asks about the donkey that you're taking, uh, tell him Jesus sent you. This time he says, tell him the Lord sent you. Jesus is declaring on Palm Sunday his lordship. He's declaring his control. He's declaring his authority. And that for us should make us wrestle with how do we see Jesus today? Do we see him as the Lord? Do we see him as the king of all kings. Dr. Tim Keller proposes this kind of radical thought. He says, either you crown him or you kill him, but you can't be in between. You can't have this thought here today. Yeah, well, Jesus is kind of, Jesus is my homeboy. He's there to serve me. He's there to help me. And he even sprinkles some forgiveness on me when I need it. And then I run and do my life Either you crown Jesus as Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. He can't be in between the two. I want to encourage you to get out of the mushy middle. And I think too often in American Christianity, we have a casual relationship with Jesus. Like he's kind of like the genie in the bottle. We, we, we say the right things, and then we get him to come out and help us, and then go back in so we can do our thing. And Jesus is declaring, I've always been the Lord of this thing. In fact, today, I wouldn't even ask you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He's been the Lord. It's just dependent if you're obedient or not. If you've submitted under his lordship or not, have you said, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my savior. Jesus declares here in this text, tell him the Lord sent you. He's announcing something. Amen. He's declaring something to people that I really think that we should lean in and listen. Jesus gets on the donkey and begins to ride into the town, and the people begin to take their coats off in a symbol of honor. They begin to cut down palm branches and wave them, and what do they say? They say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which is a direct quote from Psalm 118. Let me show it to you in Psalm 118, verse 25 through 26. Let's look at it. Save us, we pray. Just so we can do a quick language study, the phrase, save us, we pray, O Lord, translates from the Hebrew into the Greek phrase, "Hosanna," which is where we get the English word, hosanna. So if you're doing a translation, And you're looking at the Bible and you say, okay, okay, there's this word Hosanna. What's the original word there? It's the word Hosanna. And the original word Hosanna in Greek translates to the Hebrew phrase, save us, O Lord. So as the people are on the sidelines and they're waving their palm branch, they're saying, save us, O Lord. Save us, King Jesus. Save us, Lord. Save us from the Roman oppressors. Save us from the the slavery that they were... Existing in, save us from the, 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 uh, the death that was all over the land. Save us, O oh Lord. Help us. Help us get back right. But then Jesus strolls in on the donkey and he must have confused many people. And why do we say that? Well, because the one who's in control is not supposed to be riding on a donkey. The one who's in control is supposed to be on a stallion. He's supposed to be on the biggest, baddest horse. He's coming to make war. He's coming to go up to Jerusalem. The people were still thinking Jesus was going to take over the city and was going to defeat Caesar and he was going to defeat Herod and Pontius Pilate. Why is he not on a horse? And Jesus on the donkey is in complete control. Let me remind you of one more verse out of Matthew chapter 28 that has been speaking to me here today. He says it like this, and Jesus came and said to them, come on, say these two words with me, all authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Brother, sister, don't ever forget that he has all authority. That he has all authority over hell. He has all authority over death. He has all authority in heaven. He has all authority over your life. He has authority over the time. He has authority over our world? Yes, He does. Amen. I would encourage you with this thought today. The reason why you can have confidence today is because Jesus is on time and Jesus has all authority. He he is an in control God. Palm Sunday teaches us that. I hope that it, it just gives you a little bit of courage in your heart today to trust Jesus, not just as Savior. Okay, do that but trust his timing, trust his plan, trust his authority. You might have all types of situations in your life. I I was talking with a brother just in the service before that. He's, he's, he's a bit confused about the next step he should take. And what if this happens? But what if that happens? I just said, here's what you got to know. He's got all authority. The reason why you can go to sleep at night is because Jesus is on the throne. He has all authority. Over your situation, he's got authority over it. In other words, he can speak into it and tell of the wind and the waves to calm down. He can raise things from the dead as he just did in Lazarus's life. And he strolls in here on the donkey. And he's announcing and declaring his authority. I'm amazed at the control Jesus has here. As everybody in the city is stirred up Jesus is calm. I'll give you this reality statement, and then we'll make our way into our final point. Because Jesus is in control, we can be confident in his leadership. It's a very simple point, but if you have a leader who you're not confident in, that's going to make you struggle. If you have a president, or a king, or a coach, and you've lost confidence in their control, and you've lost confidence in their authority, it's going to be hard for you to follow. You know what I'm talking about? But you don't need to have that with Jesus. The Palm Sunday narrative teaches us, oh, he's been in control. He knows where the donkey is. He knows the setting. He knows the city. He knows the people. And he's on his way. Let me give you the third and final point before we close here today. He is on time. He is in control. And his posture is humble. His posture is humble. Brothers and sisters, hear me. The, 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 the posture Jesus carries into his announcement, right? All this time, hey, don't tell anybody who I am. Don't feel the need to shout that I'm the king. Don't feel the need to shout that I'm the Messiah. Go ahead. It's not my hour yet, mom. It's not my hour yet, disciples. Now he says it's my hour. And how does he come in? Does he come in with fireworks? Does he come in, with a, with a, does he come in on the, the big stallion horse? Does he come in making noise and a big announcement? No, he comes in humble. How does the king of kings, how does the God who governs the universe, Jesus makes a statement. It blows my mind. Jesus makes a statement. He says, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. In other words, before everything was created in heaven, it before everything, I was there. I saw it happen. Jesus goes, I'm the creator. I'm, I'm the God man. I'm, I'm God in the flesh. And he pulls up. And he, how does he want to be announced? Let me choose the donkey. Historians would say the person who goes to war on a donkey is the first to be killed. You don't go to war on a donkey, that's a weak person's ride. That would be a symbol of lowliness, gentleness. Give the, the low weak ones the weaker animals. The warriors, the kings come in on the horses. And Jesus says, exactly. I'm changing. I'm flipping the script. My posture is humble. Friend, I want to encourage you with this. Trust his heart. Trust Jesus's heart. I've been moved by this reality today. Zechariah 9.9. That's the quotation. That's the the prophecy being fulfilled. Zechariah 9.9. Here's how, here's how it reads. You can see it up on the screen. Rejoice greatly. Walk church. This message should move us to joy. Amen. Because what if the scripture said, what if it said, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is, king is coming to you and he's mad at you. Be, behold, he's, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he and he's going to strike all y'all. Wouldn't it, would it be God's fault. He would be righteous and just. He's gonna come in on the horse and he's gonna make war with all the sinners. Doesn't say that. It says, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is flipping the script on leadership. He's fully aware, he's in control, he's on time. Nobody can shake him, he's not frazzled, he's not wavering. He's got all authority in heaven and on earth. The demons are shrieking and Jesus is chilling on a donkey. Which just makes me breathe a little lighter. Which makes me aware of his bigness. Whoa. And and because of that, I want to give you this reality statement. Here's the statement. Because Jesus is humble... Let us be like our king. Yes. Wow. Come on. Amen. Because this is how Jesus strolls in, and he doesn't need the security of everybody else. He's fully secure in his relationship with the Father. Yes. Jesus does not need a pat on his back. He doesn't need a mention. He doesn't need a shout out. Mama, there goes that man. He's good, and he's humble. What if we said, let us be like our king. Let us not be prideful. Listen to me, walk church. I'm almost done. Listen to me. Come on, let me see some eye contact. Let me see some eye. I don't want you to miss this point. If somebody's nodding, give them the elbow. Give them a loving elbow. Listen, camera, listen to me. We have nothing to be prideful about. We have everything to be humble about we, as people who are deeply and radically sinful, who have turned away from God, who have blown it on every scale, and yet Jesus, in his humility, comes on a donkey to rescue us, we have everything to be humble about. And I think one of the things that's pervading the American church is a spirit of pride, is a spirit of, I'm better than you, is a spirit of, you owe me. People don't know how to apologize without saying if, or just, or but, or wait, or... People are too defensive, people are too easily offended, people are too prideful. And I struggle with the same. If I'm not careful, I lose sight of how Jesus lived. And Jesus comes in humble. And so let this just be a check for us. Let us be like our King. Let us be like the Savior. And let us come to Him secure. The reason why, friend, you can come to Jesus and just feel free is because you know he's humble. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 tells us, he says, come to me all who are weary and broken and I will give you rest. And then he he goes on to say, here's why. He says, because I'm gentle and I'm humble and I'm lowly. If King Jesus, the king of all the other kings, carried that posture, I think we'll be all right. Even if you don't get the credit, even if you don't get the mention, even if somebody else gets the one up, you can come in on the donkey and be a part of him. Amen. And he's enough. He's enough. Let us, let us come to him so secure. Jesus plus nothing. That's enough. I love this quote from from Tony Evans. Tony Evans says it like this. I'm sorry, Charles Spurgeon. Let me quote Charles Spurgeon one time as we close. Dr. Charles Spurgeon says, God is too good to be unkind and is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. We must trust his heart. When you can't figure out, God, why are you doing this? God, what? If you have the injury or you get the prognosis, or things don't go the way, trust his heart. What's the heart? He's humble. And you, in humility, can go to him. Isn't that what it says in Philippians 2? Philippians 2, it says, have the same attitude that Jesus had who humbled himself. Let the church be a reflection of that. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, God, I pray that, uh, that you would bless this Um, message in such a way that we would live it out that God we wouldn't just be hearers Oh God but we would be doers we would be walkers we would walk out the word so God I pray that our, our we would relax because you're you're on time God I pray everybody would know today anybody who's dealing with time issues you're on time God but not only are you on time God you're in control and you're humble. God, help us to be like you. Help us to trust you. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Yeshua, doesn't know Jesus as as Savior, I want to invite you to pray with me now. Call on his name. Just say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender to your Lordship, to your love. And I believe that you died for my sins. All of them believe you rose from the grave. And I believe you love me. And I believe you're in control. I surrender my control to yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I turn away from my sins. They don't compare. And I turn to you, Lord. And thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, can we celebrate that?